You can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, is where we'll be today. Genesis chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 2 through 5. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, thank you. As we just sang the song, praise the Lord the Almighty. You are the King of creation. Those words come easy off our lips, they flow with the music, but yet, do we truly ponder what that means? That you are the King of all creation. Help us now to understand why the song continues to go on that says, all that has life and breath, come now, let's adore him. Why that is such. Help us to grasp this truth in all of its fullness. Forgive us for these times we so quickly pass over many things in your word that should cause us to ponder and reflect. Help us now. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I grew up on the East Coast. And the opportunity I had growing up on the East Coast, and also it helped too that I had parents who, when all of my other friends were like going to Florida for uh, spring break, we went and looked at historical places. And, uh, you know, it's one of those, you're a captive audience when your parents say, this is where we're going. You know, and you just go, I guess that's where we're going. And growing up on the East Coast, I had the opportunity of going and seeing many places of great historical meaning for the foundation of our country. I got to stand and look at Plymouth Rock because there's a literally stuff around it. You can't look at Plymouth Rock. You look at it, you don't stand on it. You got to see there's Plymouth Rock, and you're like, that's a rock that has significance. And as a kid, I'm like, I walked all the way down here to see a significant rock. And you go, yes, it does. It has significance. I also got to walk the streets of the Jamestown Settlement. I got to watch my brother get on one of the three ships that are there and hoist just cargo out of the cargo hold. And I got to walk through these places here where they would tell us about what happened in Jamestown and all the struggles that happened. Now, people would get sick all the time and your chances of survival were slim to none, even if you made the voyage over, let alone living in Jamestown. And then from there, on that same little island uh, peninsula there, we got to go to Colonial Williamsburg, where I saw all the stuff that was going on during that time. You got to see how they were making things at that time. You got to see when King George was having the whole taxation without representation, and we had the rebellion going on in the revolution there, how everything from you couldn't get coffee anymore because that was a British import, and how the colonial people were making and struggling with how do we make coffee out of what we've got and everything else that was going on. I got to stand at Fort Ticonderoga, which was in New York, as a spot where the um, Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys came in a little like nighttime in, attack into this fort and without firing a shot took over this massive fort that was in a huge spot of the Hudson River there. I got to walk the fields of Valley Forge, which you go, why is that crack? Because there was a lot that happened at a spot there wasn't a battle. We're at the lowest point of our, if you want to call it our American gumption. You had a group of guys literally in Valley Forge wondering, is it worth it or not? If not, we're sure some writings of some people that wrote that George Washington would read. As a kid, I did get this significance. It's just another empty field with deer running through it that you can't shoot. And that's what I saw. I got to stand at Yorktown 
where the great charges took place, where Cornwallis was eventually was defeated, gave one of his generals gave the sword to one of the other generals there. I got to go to Mount Vernon where I got to see George Washington's false teeth and a chunk of his hair. I got to stand at Bunker Hill and see the battle that took place there. I got to go to the turning point of this, the Revolutionary War, which I'm sure you all remember is Saratoga. I got to see where George Washington crossed the Delaware. I got to go to the battlefields of Calpens, of Monmouth, and I even took my wife to King's Mountain. And we got to see all of these things playing out. I got to stand in some of those places to see great success and struggles. Literally, the past came alive to me as a kid. But now, you central Wisconsinites, most of you, sadly, if you remember anything about the Revolutionary War, it's something happened in 1776 where a guy named Ben Franklin did something who did something. And then there was a time period that things, maybe we remember the Battle of Bunker Hill, maybe we don't. I don't know if you remember that or not. Valley Forge, Yorktown, and then off we go on to the next stuff. And you have no idea what you just literally learned. You have no idea the struggle because it was piecemealed along the way. You didn't get to see the places. You didn't get to understand it. You didn't get to smell the smells. You didn't go to Betsy Ross's house, which is right by this place. where She just is a really good knitter. And all these other things like this, making flags and everything else that are going on and seeing all that stuff. But I got a chance to live that. And so when you say the Revolutionary War to me, I got a picture of it. Like I can stand in the... Literally to this day, you can go to Yorktown and see the, the areas where the dirt has been mounded up. I remember standing there. I remember looking at these things. But here's what happens when it comes to biblical history. We can so skim through the first six days of creation and not understand all the depth that is happening in those, and we just quickly go by it as if, all right, on day one, and the Sunday school answers, what did God create on day one? And we all say, light and darkness, and that's literally all we do when we move on. And my prayer is, just like I walked you through even a cliff note version of the Revolutionary War, I would even say what is happening in our country is we don't have any earthly clue what that type of sacrifice was. I mean, can you imagine in our day if someone says we're taking away all of your coffee and you've got to figure out how to get coffee from something other than coffee beans? We would just say, here's all of our freedom, take it, because I need my coffee shot in the morning let alone what they did during those times because the call is even greater. And I would argue most of us don't understand God as creator. So now all of a sudden when the rubber meets the road on what is going on in our world, we run in fear because we don't understand God as creator. And so you may say, I think we're covering a lot of verses. I, I, someone joked to me and said, we're doing how many verses a day? This has been the longest we've ever done, this chunk of, of verses. And I would say I am... By God's grace, I hope you see all the things we could have talked about as I mentioned them through, just even in these short verses, and encourage you to study these things on your own because there is no earthly way. Uh, we would not get through Genesis 1 for forever if we stopped and paused at all of these places. No different than if I were to take you to some... We didn't even hit the Civil War, the War of 1812, and all these other ones that wrestled to where we are now to understand where we got. You could do that forever. And so let's hop right into this now. Genesis 1, 2 through 5. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
And God said to him, let, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What we're going to see here is I believe wholeheartedly, and I'm going to argue this as we go through, and I would also say CBC, one of our distinctives, used this as an historical narrative. And real quick, to help you out, what is an historical narrative? And don't say it's a narrative that's historical. We need to go a little bit deeper than that. An historical narrative is a narrative that we believe happened in space and time, that these things actually happened. This is not a myth. This is not something that someone came in later and just decided we're going to make this up. This actually happened as recorded bias from God to Moses, how this has been recorded. But what we're going to see here, though, this is not an exhaustive narrative. This does not explain everything that, that happened during that, down to the minute detail. What we see here are summary statements in these six days, and we also see some times where we go past a summary statement and go to a more direct explanation of things. There's times where you will have a zoom in and zoom out concept. Or times we'll zoom in real quick when what was done, and then we're going to zoom out and make some very broad statements. With that being said, though, what we're going to see here from verses 1 to 2 is a turn. And the turn is going to be the book of Genesis now is going to focus, and the rest of the Bible is going to focus on an earth-centric concept. The earth now is in view here. And you may go, why is that important? Well, we're going to learn here real quick that God is making a cosmic temple, a temple that is earth, where he's going to put his image, image in, and we'll find out who that image will be later on. But he is creating a cosmic temple called earth. So let's get started here. Verse 2, it begins. What we're going to see here. If you follow this just line of thinking, the stage is going to be set. And so let's listen to the stage. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This stage that is being set here is a formless canvas of this world. God is going to be forming and then filling. You're going to see this pattern throughout the rest of these six days. If you were to take day one, two, and three, and then write four, five, and six next to each other, you have him forming things on day one, and then you have him filling them on day four. You have him forming things on day two, and then he fills them on day five. He forms them on day three, and he fills them on day six. This is going to be a pattern that you're going to see. So for the first three days, we're going to see him forming. So to give you an example, day one, he creates light, and day four, he creates light sources. And so what we're going to have in front of us in here is that God is about ready to do his work, and what do we notice? We notice that the earth is without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep. What we see here is an emptiness, but it is not empty. Even the formless emptiness of the created world that is going to happen is not empty. God is there. Because what we see is the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what we see on day one here, in verse three and so forth, we're going to see that light is going to be created. The creative canvas, though, of the earth is, remember, is to display the glory and power of God. So if you want to call it the backdrop of all of this, is to display God's power, His glory, and you could just keep going through His wisdom, and everything else about Him is now about ready to be on full display for everything that He is going to create to understand. 
And it's interesting, though, or the backdrop of what he chooses to describe and to display his glory for all of man to see is the canvas that is formless, a formless world covered by water. And now he is going to create. So what we see here is the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit is interesting here because when it starts to talk about the triune God here, what we have, the Spirit, is literally hovering. That word hovering is like a, a bird hovering over its nest. Like it's a, it's, it carries with it even an intimate caring, like a bird would hover over his protected nest that he has there. And if you think about the Spirit of God hovering over this unformed world, what we see here is the Spirit at the very beginning is going to bring life to a lifeless world. Let's just pause and just walk through that even itself, why the Spirit of God is the one that is bringing life to a lifeless world. Let's just take a, just a quick journey of the Spirit's role through the Bible. Remember, the Spirit would come on Old Testament saints. He would come and go. The Spirit came upon Mary, as we see even in, in uh, the birth of Jesus. What we see, too, this idea of the Spirit hovering like a bird over the, over the deep. We also get the same Spirit hovering at Jesus' baptism over Jesus, the hovering that is there as well. When the church is ready to move at Pentecost, what does the Spirit come like a hovering flame over their heads? And even to this day, the Spirit is doing His work, awakening dead hearts to life. Now, we could have done a whole, like, three sermon series on the Spirit and what the Spirit has to do with and in the Spirit and water and everything else going on there and the picture of the dove in the Bible and all of these things. And uh, the hard part about this week was reading people follow these types and themes that are pointing to Christ all the way through. And you're like, we don't have time to even get through one because you go, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. What does that even look like? What is that, the understanding of it all? And I would encourage you, there is so much more to dig into that. But here's the point I want to bring in. God is not distant from His creation. At the very beginning, what is God doing? He is there hovering over and caring. God is moving over the world He is creating, he is, he, which shows us just a couple of just points to bring out that He cares about this world. That He's not off in the distance. What is He doing? He's literally hovering. He is intimately involved with this world, which then if He's intimately involved with the creation of this world, that He's intimately involved with everything that He's created. That's why we can get assurance for things like if He knows how many hairs on your head, if He knows a sparrow, what about His own image bearers? He cares for them as well. Now, what is our response to this, that God actually cares for His created world? Our response for this is not a proudful, how great I am, but a worshipful response. One of my favorite songs is, I sing the mighty power of God. And in that phrase there, which is just a phenomenal phrase in one of those, it says, well, all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy hand. I mean, that concept that we literally are borrowing life from God Himself. Because in Him we live and we move and have our being that when God says you are done, you are done, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. Why? Because He is literally the Creator of all things and our response every day is thank you, Lord, for life and breath. Thank you, God. Now it's been said by many theologians that there's only one main doctrine in the Old Testament. 
And I was, when I heard this, I was like, oh, i got to sit up. I wonder what this main doctrine is. And they will say that this, the one main doctrine in the Old Testament is God as creator, and everything else flows from that. He is the creator, and so now this. He is the creator, and now that, because he is the one who creates it all. He is the one that sustains it all and everything. And I would say, sadly, most of us skip over that concept about God to our own peril. That he is the creator, if he is the creator, what does that mean? What does that mean about me? Point number two, not only is God intimately involved with the universe, point number two, and we'll see this in verse three here, he said it. It begins, and now he said. What do we see? Verse three, and God said, let there be light. The first recorded, if you want to say, words that we have of God in the Bible are let there be light, and notice what happens to these words that he says. And... There was light, obedience to the word of God at the very beginning. He said it, and it happened. Here we see a powerful truth that separates the God of the Bible from all other gods. God speaks it, and the power of his word, things that do not exist, exist. Think about that for a moment. Things that did not exist now exist. He speaks, and things that did not even have their existence are now moving and functioning the way God has created them to be. Is this not the beautiful picture of salvation? The gospel, the word of God, which literally is the word of God, that is the power to save, literally causes dead, stony hearts to come alive. Things that did not beat to the... To God, now beat to God. Evil desires are now replaced with God-honoring desires. This is what he's been doing from the very beginning, and this is what he will do until he returns. Awakening salvation in the hearts of man. And now you may say, but Tim, like last time I checked, there was no one here to record this because you didn't exist yet. So how do we know that these things happen? Well, Hebrews helps us with this. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. After it gets done talking about, this is at the start of the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews 11.3, it tells us this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of the Lord. And we'll just stop there. How do we know that this happened? By faith. Because what faith is? Faith is what was told to me and I believe it. All right? There's a part of faith that's saying, by faith we understand these happened. And they, how did it happen? By the word of God. So, before, now, I want to I pause here for a second. Because sometimes if you start off on a slight kilter the wrong way, you get really far off later on. And so before you start sharpening your pitchforks and, you know, getting the torches ready to burn, I'm going to say something, but I want you to listen through this, what I'm saying, because I really do believe words have meaning, and we need to understand when I say something, sometimes we just hop off into this because we live in a day and age where the creation-evolution battle is going, and sometimes, I would argue, we go further than what Scripture allows, and sometimes we wrestle with trying to explain it all. So listen to me very carefully here. The creation account was not an observable scientific event. All right, let me work through this. It was not an observable scientific event. Observable means you saw it with your eye, because what is science? 
Man's observation of the physical universe. Was man there to observe it? No. Who observed it? God did and told what? Moses who recorded it and now we have it. All right. So then, when we understand what it was, what we have is a miraculous event. The way God created the world, if we try to take the laws we know now and try to shove them back into the way God created the world, we are going to fail because what he did there was miraculous. Sadly, many times we try to take the laws that we understand now and try to shove them back into the creative creation narrative and what we find that the laws we have now don't explain how he can literally speak things into existence. So like I'll give you an example. One of the laws we have now is that matter cannot be created or destroyed. All right, that's one of the laws of science. Well, here's what happened. We had a miracle when Jesus was here on earth. He took loaves of fish and bread and broke it and created matter that was not there. He literally created matter in that, that we call that a miracle. All right, when Jesus walked on water, there was times where the normal water, when you stand on it, you sink through, that we call it a miracle. So these things happen. So when we look at the creation of count, what we do is we say, yes, it happened in time and space. But what happens is when we try to take the laws of science that we see them today and try to jam them back in, we only create more confusion. And here's what God says to Job. Turn to Job 38, because I really do believe... Sometimes as we wrestle through some of these, I think it's important for us to go to Job 38. When we're sitting here, and I'll give you an example. Before we read Job 38, let me give you the one that everybody likes to struggle with. All right, now this, trying not to get too technical here. So when a star is shining in the universe, that star has light that beams towards an object. And it is counted in light years, all right? And there's some stars right now that are gone, that have been destroyed, but their light beam is still traveling to Earth because the galaxies are so far away that that light source is gone, but we still see the light. Okay, one of the issues that people try to bring up is if God created the uh, world, like he says in the Bible, on day four, he creates the stars. Well, if the world is only as short as what the Bible tells us, how does that star beam get to where it's going now? I would say God is a God of miraculous, and he can do whatever he wants to do. All right, like I don't have to sit here and try to understand the, the light and how it travels now to go, God could do whatever he wants to do. He's God. I may not be able to understand it, but if I tie myself in the Gordian knot trying to figure this all out, I think God responds to us how he says here in Job Chapter 30, verse 1, well, let's, let's pick it up in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? When what, where the bases sunk, or who laid its foundation? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the seas with the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I came in clouds and garments, the thick darkness is swaddling van and Prescribe the limits for it and set the bars and doors, and thus far you shall come and no further. And here you shall, your proud waters shall stay. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that you may take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? And he keeps going on and on and on. And what is Job's response to that is, You are God and I am not. I think there's sometimes we get ourselves so bent out of shape of like trying to solve some things that you go, no, God created, he said it, and it is so. 
Because what happens is we live in a day and age with a world that is rejecting God at every, every point along the way. And what they're finding is, which is I, always amazed by this, the further we look into science, the more complexity we see. One of the great pushes of evolution was the smaller you get, the less um, intricate things get. And what have we found by studying? The smaller you get, the more intricate things get, which again proves that God is the God of not just the big, but he's also the God of the small, that there's not a single thing that goes beyond him. And mankind, we sit here and just say, God, you are God and we are not. And so I don't get bent out of shape because when I look at all of the things around us, all I ever see is the world trying to communicate there is no God. And if there is no God and we see complexity, what's their only answer? We've got to lengthen out time because anything's possible with time plus chance plus whatever. And I look at that. Time and chance are not causal agents. All right, because here's one thing I know. I know without a doubt if there ever was no thing, another way of saying that is nothing, there would be no thing now, right? Because something does not come from no thing, right? If there ever was a time where there was nothing, we would have what? Nothing, all right? Like, I don't care how the world tries to describe this. Here's what God's Word tells us, that God is eternal, and from an eternal, all-powerful, wise God, we have what we have today. And by faith, I believe that. This is what Hebrews tells us. Now, we do not run from science, but science is limited. It's limited by our observation. And so those are things we have to run to because we don't run. Science is not a god, nor is science a person, no matter what happened a couple of years ago where someone tried to claim that they were science. All right, Science is man's observation of the physical universe around us and we observe it, and what do we see? What does Psalms tell us? What we observe shows us the glory and honor and splendor of God. And there's going to be many things we will not grasp. But it's interesting, though, a casual reading of the accounts of creation tell us one thing, and there's a pretty fascinating word here that everybody likes to say, but I'll just help you out. Ex nihilo. Ex nihilo literally means created from nothing. God did not use pre-existing materials to create light. What did he say? Let there be light and there was. Do not ask me to describe how you go from God, the eternal being, to saying let there be light and now there is light, other than what does the word of God tell us? At one time there was not light and he said let there be light and now there is light. But yet to the unbelieving world who bows down at the altar of, you want to call it science, and the atheist position becomes even harder and harder to maintain as we dig even into more of God's created universe. And so they have to decide, they say things like the Big Bang caused it, and you're like, last time I checked, any explosion does not go back to order. When you have something blow up, it goes from whatever to even more chaos. Yet here's one thing we know. If there ever was a time that, that there was not life, there would be no life now. You don't go from non-life to life. You can only go from life to life. And what do we know at the very beginning? That God was there. He was the life that brought life into this world. So I'd encourage you, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to cower away from. God said it. And it happened. And we believe that by faith. 
but our faith is not blind. We can see the world around us and say it points to a creator. I mean, some of the most basic arguments that have been leveled against Christianity, you look and you say, they are destroyed by even the most basic sounding of logic, but the world is going to reject it. Remember the last couple weeks we said, what is the world's number one job? The world's number one job is to deny their creator. Even though it is plain to them, we're going to go through hoops to try to say no. It is amazing to me when you look at the medical world and you see the doctors that are working on the bodies of incredible techniques and everything else, they can't put the body back together the way God made it. I'll never forget, we had, a, we had an, I would even argue, an, an atheist doctor who doesn't believe in God. When my wife's wrist was broken, he said, no one makes it as good as God. And I'm like, are you really, like, I wanted to go, do you really believe that or is that just a phrase you're saying? But do we really honestly get it? Because notice, not only did he create this light into darkness, but what did he say at the end? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, not only did he create it, but notice he separates the light from the darkness, and he called the, day, the light day, and the darkness he called night. It was evening and morning the first day. But even before that, in verse 4, and God saw the light, and it was what? Average? No, because only good can come from a good God. So point number three, it was good. On day one, we have the separating from light to darkness. Now, real quick, if you were to go through the mythological creation tales of all the things that man has tried to put together for this, what you will have is these mortal battles going on between the gods. They're wrestling over the sea. One of them flings someone this way. Someone kills another one. Someone takes someone's wife or something like this, and then you get stuff going on. But it's chaos. It's battle. It's all these other issues going on. But what we see is the God of the Bible is the sovereign, all-powerful craftsman calmly in his workshop, not battling against the chaos, but forming and dividing the elements of this world as he seems fit. He is sovereign over the light and the darkness, because what does he do? By just saying it, he separates the elements. I will not try to explain to you where the light source came from. There's a lot of speculation on it, and we'll just leave it at that. But that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is this. We, first of all, need to remember that God has everything we want to have in this, and Scripture is sufficient. But I want to look at a couple of things that stand out to me as we read verses 4 and 5. Notice, God not only separates them, but He names them. Notice we have the light is named day, and the darkness is named night. Not only is God the creator of light, but now what is he doing? These things that I just created, I'm going to name them, which he's giving language to us, and he's even naming them. And now you may say, well, why is he naming them? He's doing what the all-sovereign creator has the right to do. Not just to create but to determine the very purposes of what he created, what it's going to do, how it's going to do it, and he shows that by literally saying, I'm going to name this thing day, and I'm going to name this thing night. Now, real quick, think through that for a second. God, the creator of all things, has the right to tell everything he created, what it's going to do, and for what very purpose he's created it for. 
Now the beauty of that, and we'll get to this later, one day God is going to create a garden and he's going to place in the garden an image bearer. And that image bearer, he's going to say, I'm giving you dominion over all of the animals. And what's the first thing that image bearer is given as a kingly image bearer from God himself the right to do? And God has him name the what? Animals showing man's not only dominion over, but you are separate from them. You are not just a well-organized chimp. You are the image bearer of God, and I'm going to show you that you are greater than all the other created things. I'm going to give you the right that only God has to give to someone else, the right to name the animals. And I think sometimes we go through this so quickly that we miss the beauty of it all. Because here's the thing we see. After day one, God created the light, and he says, it is good. So even in that phrase, it is good. Everything God does is perfect and complete and all wise, and it is the fittest means to accomplish what he has decreed. I will say that again. Everything God does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means, when I say the fittest means, the best way of doing it to accomplish everything he has decreed. So when he needed the light to separate from the darkness, it separated exactly how God wanted it to be. It's interesting. I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but there's going to be a rebellion that's going to take place. I'll just throw out to you, it's not the light and the darkness rebelling. Uh, I'll point out, um, we're part of that rebellion. And we're not just going to somewhat rebel. I'm praying as we get through this here, we'll get to what did we learn today, but I'm praying when we read Adam and Eve's rebellion, it should cause us to shock and utter and say, how, why would you rebel against the good and righteous creator of the heavens and the earth? Why would you do that and see man's pride? And then say, and I am a descendant of Adam as well, that were rebelled against the God who created all that is good for me. That all being said, that's another sermon another day. When we look at day one, the separating of light from the darkness, God naming the light, naming the day, God looking at all that he had done and said, it is good. Think about this, those of you who know Christ. Let's look at this past week. The issues that are in front of you. The things you struggle with. The noise that you're about ready to step into as soon as you walk out here. The hub, the hub and noise of this world. And I want you to take a moment and rise above all of that. And see the Creator God, the Almighty God on His throne as creator and sustainer of all things. Because so many times we get so earthly focused and so carried away by all of the stresses of this world that we forget to pause and say, God is on his throne. As Habakkuk reminds us, let all the earth be silent. The creator God is determining and setting the places and bounds of all of these things. God is at work bringing all of this world to his ultimate glory. And our main role is to join the song that is already being sung in heaven. 
each day proclaiming God for His glory and who He is because everything that comes my way, God knows about and is using for my good and His ultimate glory, which is my good, His ultimate glory. And so if He can separate the light from the darkness by speaking, do you think He can handle your situation? But what do we like to do? Hold on, created dust. Uh, I think I got this. I mean, how? I mean, it is about as silly as a newborn infant looking at the parents and going, "I don't need food. I got this." First of all, you say, "Why are you talking to me?" But after you got through that, you'd be like, "No, you can't. All you do is sit and ooze. All right, you don't have the strength to do anything." if it would not be for us. But we, as created beings, look to God who is on His throne, all-powerful, creative God, and we go, don't worry, I think I can handle this. And He looks and goes, oh, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, foolish one, cast all your burdens and anxieties on me because I care for you. And you know how I care for you? I stooped down and created this world for my glory to be seen because at the end of the day, food's not going to sustain you. Clothes aren't going to sustain you, only I will. Because one day, it doesn't matter what you're eating, it's going to be the last meal you have. It doesn't matter what clothes you're going to put on, they're going to send them to Goodwill and no one's going to remember them anyway, even if they make it to Goodwill, right? But all of these things we pursue after so hard are but here for a moment and gone. And that is why we need to have our eyes completely focused on God as creator and sustainer of all things. Because if not, we are going to be so quickly drawn away and we become so burdened by our anxieties. And we look and say, Lord, you know me better than I know myself because you made me. And may we submit to that. Dear Holy Father, help us now. As we think through the beauty of this created world that you created. Number one, dear Holy Father, help us to have the faith to continue to understand that it's by your word that this world was created. May we not run and hide, but may we stand firm to know that all around us we see this beauty. That as we step outside and we see the light, that you are the one that separated that and you are the one that literally calls it day. So thank you for this day. That word that you even gave us for day. Help us to submit to your sovereign rule over all things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.